This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 98. Welcome to the podcast. Today on the podcast, I have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Ivan Zach. He's a veterinarian, an entrepreneur, and a lean thinking evangelist. He's the creator of SmartFlow, a workflow optimization system for vet practices, and he is currently leading veterinary integration solutions. He just finished his MBA dissertation studying how lean thinking can help reduce burnout in veterinary organizations. So he fits perfectly into what we love to talk about on the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Dr. Zach, welcome. Thanks for that introduction, Julie. I'm not sure about the evangelist. That sounds very uh, powerful. I don't think I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I think, wondering generality. <laughs> well, I just, I appreciate the work that you're doing in this arena and I'd like to learn a little more about it. So can you tell me about the study, what it was about and why you decided to do it? Sure. Um, so so the, the study was a part of the dissertation. I had to pick a topic because I decided to do an MBA uh, three years ago. <clears throat> it was supposed to be two. I stretched it. Procrastinated too much. <laughs> That's okay. Um, and the dissertation was the part that I was kind of dreading. But then uh, through my experience with... Uh, uh, with uh, consolidation uh, in our space. And as we know, you know, there's about 20% consolidated and uh, I think we're still moving at a full speed and maybe chasing Europe where it's about 60, 67%, I think now. Uh, so I saw some struggles that the both consolidators and the veterinarians are going through. And that interested me from the management side. Um, but also, I, you know, more and more we're realizing this problem of burnout and the suicide in the in the industry and and having an experience myself with the burnout to a pretty significant degree um i you know i was wondering are there things uh that we didn't look at yet um uh, not the self care which is super important and focusing on work life balance and all of those good things but is there something that industry or or we can do uh, other than uh, just give it to veterinarians and to deal with themselves. So this is where the topic came about. I, I was trying to find the business methodology uh, that potentially could solve the problems of burnout in our domain. And therefore, for the research part, um, I um, surveyed uh, close to 1,500 uh, veterinary professionals and uh, just wanted to establish a couple sort of uh, uh, ground uh, pieces of information. Are we truly burned out? And then uh, can we say that the burnout is more significant in consolidation than in non-consolidation? And um, as the literature research part and just the general research for the dissertation, I picked lean um, as a sort of business methodology uh, or the flow methodology, if you will, uh, just because I was fascinated with it uh, through my experience with SmartFlow, which was a product that we uh, created. Okay. So it, so some of this um, lean uh, thinking technology is kind of what you were trying to drive the study towards? 
Is that what I'm talking uh, about? Well, yeah. you know, that was a hypothesis. So in, in a master's degree, uh, which is in international healthcare management, um, I was trying to um, to see if we can, it, it's a hypothesis that, that can we use lean? And because throughout the research, I found out how much they use lean thinking, which is there's slight difference there, uh, but, but important difference in human health. And I was wondering, is, could we take that as an example and then see if that could influence how we conduct business in veterinary medicine? And then could that improve the experience of, of the frontline staff? So that was the hypothesis. And uh, we made a couple of conclusions that were interesting. So can you explain lean thinking to me and the other people that might be out there that don't um, are not real familiar with it? Yeah, so lean comes from uh, quite a lot of people probably heard about it in Toyota um, uh, car manufacturer. So it's a it's sort of the process of eliminating the waste, and uh, there's there's quite a few principles in there. So eliminating the waste in the production, uh, uh, the waste of time, the waste of uh, inventory. Um, then there is uh, you know principles like uh, just in time. So at the certain station on the factory, you have you know products arriving just in time for production, so they're not waiting in line. So there's quite a few principles that came out of that, and and multiple industries picked up lean as a methodology. And one of them was uh, was human field, and uh, in some instances it did leave a bad taste because it was just implemented and it didn't resonate. To you couldn't just copycat from the factory to the hospital, and a lot of people accepted it as sort of uh, lean and a waste elimination. It's sort of like eliminating unnecessary roles and people, so people immediately started thinking that they're gonna you know lose their job as any change, right? You change yeah, anything, it's like oh my that, god, right? we charge yeah yeah, yeah the we change sky them. is falling. <laughs> yeah, we changed the color of the mop bucket. I'm going to be fired. Oh yeah, but but the um, but the point is that uh, it was applied in in uh, Great Britain in in the British uh, healthcare system. They have it similar to Canadian. It's a unified uh, system, and um, and it didn't go well from what I heard. It just kind of left a bad taste. But then, but then I was researching it in US, and there's a group. Um, that implemented well one gentleman in particular so dr john tasson who's uh, who's now sort of my inspiration uh, in this project he applied it uh in uh, wisconsin healthcare system and he had similar experience really good results but it didn't stick it didn't become the muscle memory of the teams and uh, he went back and instead of abandoning the methodology he converted it so it fits better with the healthcare system and he produced um, six principles that are sort of leading the methodology. And among them, uh, number one is that lean is a continuous improvement culture. So it's not about uh, just following the rules, but it's uh, continuously looking for improvements. The second one is that lean is the value creation tool rather than waste elimination. So it's seeking for additional value, which is completely different angle to look at. Then that lean fosters the unity of purpose. So making sure that everybody is uh, connected around the vision, mission, the core values of the organization, um, and then respect for people. And that's the one that I make an emphasis in the, in the literature view and the, my conclusions is that <clears throat> by promoting and respecting people that do the actual work, such as technicians and veterinarians, uh, consolidation might have a significant impact uh, on our experience. And then the fifth one is that 
the uh, the importance of visual representation. So when you do the changes, when you uh, when you observe the changes, you need to they need to be visual. So to see the results, you need to show to your staff that the results are there. And in uh, human healthcare, they applied a lot of boards, basically whiteboards with initiatives that are brought up by the frontline staff, how they're executed, and just progression. And it was amazing to see that in a couple of hospitals that we visited with my co-founder, Dr. Bill Griffin, uh, in San Francisco General Hospital in particular, we had this executive training on lean thinking and the CEO had the board that anybody could look at and see what she's doing and what are her projects. And it's just total transparency throughout the organization. And the last principle, which is super important, is that this is uh, there's a flexibility embedded into methodology. So it's not a rigid, you stand here, do that, and I'll watch you. It's really, here's the framework, and then there's flexibility how you apply it. So those are the six principles that they applied in human healthcare, and they went not only um, at the level of the Wisconsin healthcare uh, system, but beyond in multiple hospitals. So it's a very big network right now. And uh, Dr. John Tasson, who started it 12 years ago, he became my uh, inspiration on trying to replicate that in, uh, in the veterinary domain. And he actually uh, um, inspired and helped. We took a couple courses with him. So, uh, so yeah, so we are super excited to try to apply it through my new initiative. Amazing. Yeah, that sounds, all those six things sound like absolutely things that we could implement in veterinary hospitals. But I understand what you're saying about that it scares people, that change, yeah. <laughs> you know, steps will, uh, will uh, cause fear that they're going to lose their job or something like that. Well, in any, any change, and, and if you think about the reason why I focused on consolidation, because I think there's a tremendous opportunity that comes with the consolidation. And there's this sort of dogma that, you know, consolidation is bad. It takes our practices away and things like that. Uh, you know, we interviewed on, on our podcast, the, uh, uh, a doctor, I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but she uh, she got an amazing career within the Mars organization. And they, you know, they consolidate. There's Benfield, there's VCA, there's right. Blue Pearl. And there's so many new careers that people can obtain through the corporate. So they don't have the ceiling of I'm a technician or I'm a vet and they can progress, you know, pivot and do, do other things. Um, then there's also, you know, consolidated investment into projects, pharmaceuticals and, and things like that. And, and also there is an ability to apply uh, management practices at scale. And that was my sort of conclusion. I was trying to, I actually was kind of looking for a result where it's like consolidation is bad. So therefore we need to apply something. Uh, <laughs> but it didn't, I, I failed to prove that, which is good. Exactly. So, yeah, because there's so many practices that are going that way now. If you proved that it exactly. was terrible, we'd be in big trouble, right? As an industry. Exactly. <laughs> but but that's the thing, because change, as you mentioned, it comes through through the consolidation. There's significant change, and what I, what I find and what I see is that it's empowered people that have been the community veterinarian, you know, and and they were the heart of the town, and everybody knew them, and then all of a sudden they sell their business with all their staff. And all of a sudden, it's like staff thinks that that they're you know the the practice owner betrayed them, and then they feel like they lost the power of making decisions. So, veterinarians usually are very driven, sort of type A personalities, and and Absolutely. they become business owners, and right. then and then after that, they're not empowered because they don't have any control. 
So I think that in consolidation, if, if consolidators will focus on providing that feedback loop and the power at the, at the local level, then lean actually would work pretty well to, to facilitate that change from one state to another. Yeah, it sounds like it absolutely would. So in your study that you did, can you tell me a little bit about the, the big light bulb things that you discovered? What, what exactly were the things that you found and what surprised you and what kind of people did you surveyed veterinarians, technicians, receptionists, the whole veterinary team, correct? Pretty much, yeah. We, we, we deployed this survey and we did it in a way of social media push. So we applied everything okay. uh, we knew about marketing. Uh, we sponsored a bunch of ads and whoever works in the veterinary setting, they could contribute by filling out the survey. It's a so 16, there was a mix um, of people that worked in corporate practices and private practices. Yeah. So there was one slice. A bias there. Okay. Yeah, there was one, that was one slice. So we asked them, are you in corporate or private? Uh, another slice was we asked for their age. Uh, we also asked for um, uh, we also asked for who they are in the practice of the technician, a manager, and the veterinarian. So so that allowed us to slice the data post uh, post the survey. And then the tool that we use is um, a professional fulfillment index. It was developed in Stanford, and they successfully uh, compared it to BMI, which is another tool that people use to assess the burnout. And it, this one helps to assess the uh, the empathy and the uh, compassion uh, towards your work, as well as the burnout. Okay. And the interesting finding was that most people that are working in the veterinary industry, they love their job, but they are most of them are burned out. That was so we kind of got that established that yes, there is a problem, and the majority of those people they reported that they were burnt burned out. Um, the second finding, there was two findings that I was, uh, surprised with. Well, why not so surprised, but that not without what I was looking for, but they came out of the study. Um, one is that, uh, the people that are more burned out are people around 30 years of age, 30 and younger. That's interesting. And the baby boomers, uh, were the happiest ones. So that's really interesting. <laughs> that was an interesting finding because you would you didn't think expect that, you that know, I imagine. No, you would think, you know, you, if you've been doing it for years and years and you're just sick of it. Right. <laughs> but, but then we found that and I don't really have a, you know, explanation to that. I think it just, it just creates another question for the next research, which would be interesting. But my personal hypothesis, not proven by anything, is just about the types of generations that we're having and how people take their career, work-life balance, and these things into consideration when they're, when they're choosing the career. And the whole sort of, you know, James Harriet kind of veterinarian for life uh, is probably not what people are doing these days. I mean, I, I pivoted 10 years into, after two vet schools, I had to go through two vet schools oh, to wow. be licensed in Canada. Yeah. And 10 years later, I couldn't do it anymore. So, so it was, you know, so I you did were, find it. Did you, you couldn't do it because you were burned out after 10 years? No, actually the burnout was sort of in the middle of it. Um, okay. I did, uh, 
too much of the combination of emergency medicine and the locums. And, and the idea was that if I'll do emerge, I'll do, you know, four shifts on, six off, and I'll have all the time in my life to enjoy it. And what I ended up doing, what most vets do, I worked four nights and then six more days as a locum. So, right, you know, right, because you, you just get sucked in. <laughs> exactly. And then that really, really, uh, you know, did a number on me. And, and then also emergency medicine. I, you know, I just shout out to all my colleagues in emergency medicine, but I think it's, it's just never appreciated. And whenever you talk to someone, you know, they find out you're a vet and the typical, oh, I love to be a vet. And, you know, I, I wanted to be a vet when I was a kid and everybody, it seems like every single yeah, person. Yeah, it's a, a very vet. popular <laughs> profession, right? If yeah, you, exactly. if you're at a party and you're a veterinarian, you're kind of a rock star. Yeah, yeah. Everyone well, wants to don't, tell you their story. You're doing, yeah, Everyone you're wants doing to the tell you. Dogs anal glands at the party too. So exactly. You don't, you don't right. want to announce that. We want you to do their free service. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, but it, it's hard, and I think that the the emergency medicine, the nature of it is that you know nobody wants to see you. Period. Nobody wants to see a veterinarian at eleven o'clock on Friday right. while their dog is puking, you know, plastic bags. Exactly. And then as they come in, they know that they will spend a lot of money. More money. And then right? <laughs> yeah. And then it's all about the money. And you did vet school because you love money, not animals. That's like every other case that you see. Right. All right. We take that on, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, so that was, that was sort of my timetable, but it was within, it was within that time that I burned out and I recovered and I went back to practice and I was, you know, it was still interesting, but I got sucked into the technology and I'm, you know, very passionate about that. And I love veterinarians and I love animals, but I don't want to do it. Uh, I'm happy (laughs) to, I'm happy to create things that will help veterinarians because I know how hard it is, but I don't think I can do it myself anymore. You don't want to practice anymore. Yeah. So I think okay. that's, that's maybe where the, these generations are different now. Maybe it's the people that, you know, took it. Uh, I just recently talked to a vet. She graduated, just graduated from vet school this year. She doesn't want to do it. Like she already studied. Not, for, she hasn't even started years. and she doesn't want to do it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Where do you so, think that comes from? Where do you think that attitude, did that come up in the survey at all is, what what is the thinking process that makes the younger veterinarians um, worry so much think, about getting burned out? Or I think know, maybe it's our expectation. Uh, my expectation of me was when I graduated that I will do that. I work launch shifts, write records after it, and you know, and that was it was sort of like the fourth year of vet school was this is how I envisioned it, and you're always at work and you're doing this, and I was okay with it. And right. I think that now people value, you know, with every next generation, millennials and then X and Z, whoever they are, uh, they, they more and more value lifestyle. But I think that profession is still sort of expecting them to do those loan hours and this type of work. And there's, I think there's disconnect there. And, and ultimately, I think they burn out because that's what happens. But so it's the, really the way we practice and the professions that need, the profession itself that needs to change. Yeah, I and think we're behind on that. Is it? Be, do you think it's because the older veterinarians are running the show, or do you think the corporation doesn't really get it? Do they get what's going on in the veterinary hospitals? The corporations that own the hospitals. It, unfortunately, most of them don't, and that's what we're finding. Most most consolidators that uh, consolidate a lot of the executive team members are not from the veterinary domain. 
Yeah. Uh, they're very well trained, you know, MBAs and financial people and operations, but they're not familiar with the day-to-day operations of the hospital. So they, so it doesn't resonate with them, um, I think. And, and, and that's where there's so much, uh, you know, there's, there are difficulties associated with improving operational efficiencies in the, in the veterinary hospital. So the whole consolidation game is there's, there's two parts to it. Uh, one is arbitrage. You buy as many hospitals as you can and then flip it. So that's sort of, you know, that's the arbitrage. And the second one, those that you buy improve operational efficiencies in them and then sell them. So I think that they're excellent in buying practices, but there is struggle to improve operational efficiency at scale. And that's the other part where I think we're applying some systematic approach like lean could help do that and improve the experience of veterinarians. So that's why I focused on both. Oh, that, yeah, I can see that for sure. I've, I've worked in both and I, and I see the differences. I see the difference between privately owned practices and corporate owned practices and some of the attitudes that come along with it. So yeah. other than the, the younger veterinarians being more burned out than the older veterinarians, were there, was there something else in your study that stood out? about the veterinary team or yeah yeah the the other one that we found that was interesting but kind of expected uh i don't there was a recent study i think in colorado and it was i was kind of disappointed because as i was finishing my dissertation i found an article that came out of colorado using exactly the same tool so i'm yet to see if my mentors yeah will say that i copied their study if the results are similar yeah, they're not at all, but they, oh, okay. they surveyed, um, well, there's different group, you know, it was independent, but they, we just used the same tool and they yeah, published it before I submitted my dissertation. So, hmm. uh, but <clears throat> the finding that I had, they studied technicians um, as a group. And then what I did, I, I did a sort of wide uh, range of different professionals so I could compare them. So that's what happened. And, and what I found out is that, if you compare veterinarians to technicians, technicians are more burned out than the veterinarians. Really? And, and we always talk about, you know, veterinarians and the suicide rate and not another vet. And, you know, there's a lot of speakers that talk about it. And I feel like we were kind of forgetting about technicians. So I think this is a real red flag to say, look, there's other people that work in the clinic and in fact, I think that technicians work harder than the veterinarians. That's just my personal opinion. No, they, they, they certainly do. <laughs> I, I, work with, yeah. uh, I work with them every day and, and they're just running. They run themselves yep. ragged. Yeah. And, you know, it's being in so many hospitals that I have being a relief veterinarian, every time I would come in and I, I always was saying, I'm just a license here and you guys do the work. So tell me how you do it and I'll blend in because I don't want to disrupt your workflow here. I just, right. you know, whatever medications you use, whatever, I'm sure you've done thousands of space. And if I'll come in right now and dictate my protocols, it's going to disturb you. So whatever you're comfortable with, I'll just do my mechanical part. So, right. Right. Yeah. So, so, but that was sort of, you know, and then we found a lot of support. There was another interesting sort of differential that was mixed into this study. I didn't expect it. I don't think anybody expected it, but there was COVID along the way. <laughs> and, and that changed uh, a lot. Uh, yeah. COVID so changed a ton in, a, in the veterinary hospitals and the way they operate. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting part that from the economical side of things, the revenue went up, yeah. uh, you know, after a small uh, dive, but but we did the survey at the time of pandemic. 
So I don't know wow. if my study is true to the normal state, but I also don't know if we'll be ever will be a normal state. Hopefully we right. will. Yeah. And then also, I don't know. So we did an additional small survey on the anesthesia nerds uh, Facebook group. And we just asked them whether they feel more under pressure during the COVID if compared to normal times. And, and absolutely technicians, you know, the majority said that they do. But I cannot say that, let's say, veterinarians felt the same way about empowerment at work because, yes, it makes sense that there's more stress, the workflows change, the, you know, there's pressure, there's all these curbside things that we're doing now, telemedicine that wasn't there before. But in another, from another angle, maybe people feel more empowered and needed because they're essential service and they, they you know, they... Uh, I, I guess the, the feeling of being needed is maybe more. And I don't know that. These are all hypotheses. Right, so right. I just know that the, the thing that may have interfered with the study is COVID, but I don't know what to make out of it. So that's just... And what was the different? Maybe. What was the percentage difference? Like you said, the technicians were more burned out than the veterinarians by a degree of what? Like, was it was it huge or was it? It wasn't a huge, huge gap. It just showed that they are. Um, and because it wasn't percentage, you know, uh, veterinarians compared to technicians in percentage, they all are in the scale was 2.04, I think for veterinarians and it's out of four. And then it was, it was a little more on the technician side. So percentage wise, I didn't slice it that way. I okay. Think okay. But it was just, available. it was just something that stood out that the technicians are feeling more put upon at this point. I just, I just think that the fact that we're not focusing on it, at least as much as veterinarians is probably something that, that flagged in this study, even if it was equal, uh, it doesn't matter. I think that we talk right. a lot about vets, but not yeah, enough. We don't give the technicians as much support. Yeah, and when I also started, yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you go. <laughs> well, when I started this podcast, you know, it because I'm a veterinarian, it's directed at veterinarians, but I'm always very careful to include the technicians because they are such a big part of the practice and they do have the same same pressures that we do pretty much, you know. They don't have the ultimate, you know, the buck stops with the veterinarian, but they do have everything else. Yeah. And and I see that in my in my practice. Well, and the da danger I think is the same because, you know, we lose a lot of veterinarians uh, through the access to medications that they can use and, uh, and technicians do as well. So, Absolutely. so having sort of the alarms around it and, and, you know, more thorough understanding where you at, this is, you know, in my new venture, what we are focusing on a lot in, in assessing how the team is feeling because all the changes that come through consolidation, they put the stress on already stressed people. If I did the baseline and we're burned out, put those people through consolidation when their jobs are changing. They don't know if they have a job. They don't know if they're going to have to wear a uniform that's different. They don't know. Like, it's just so much stress. Absolutely. And then on top of that, you know, COVID now, and like you really want to monitor your people before the acquisition, after acquisition, where they're at before you push more changes on them. And of course, consolidation as the business, they want to improve things quickly because they acquired a practice, they want to put their processes in place. And rarely they do see or, or research enough if the team is ready for another change. Because to them, let's, let's buy the practice and let's start doing changes buying a practice is already a change for them. That was a first change. They Absolutely. need to understand and that was and a change. And oftentimes a very, very big change because a yeah. lot of these practices have been going for years 
with the same yeah. team, with the same owners, and now all of a same sudden, software, same, all, yeah, it's yeah. all going to change. Yeah. And yeah. and I do think and, they miss, yeah, they miss the boat and, and how to handle people and and how each team um, feels as individuals. Because yeah. in what I do, each person has their own tolerance for change. Yep. So yeah. figuring and out who you, you know who your team is would go a long way into realizing how fast you can change them. Yep. No, absolutely. And I think that paying more attention to that, and I think that the consolidation starts uh, paying more attention, new consolidators, they emerge um, that, you know, there's a lot of um, sharing responsibilities post acquisition. There's, there's incentives that are left behind. There's, you know, equity left behind at least at the veterinarian level. So they're more involved. Um, but the outcome, if you don't take care of those things, they will leave. And the biggest scarcity right now in the industry um, are veterinarians. So, So if you don't take care of that, you will lose vets. And then most consolidators have multiple, multiple open positions for vets and they can't fill them because we just don't produce enough vets. And then you mix in COVID and we're so much busier. It just adds that much more stress. To and there's more body. pets and people are paying yeah. more attention to their pets at home Crazy. because they're at home with the pet. And then there's, you know, that's why our industry went up. There was an article in New York times talking about the veterinary uh, uh, industry being one of the only ones that actually uh, went uh, over the last year earnings on the, on the months of COVID. Yeah. And that's because people got more pets. They started looking at them more because they sit at home. They have wondered Noticing about the things they never more. noticed before. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we have a lot of that. So, we haven't been here in 10 years, but now all of a sudden here's this, you know, six problems that my pet has. Exactly. Started yesterday. This lump. Exactly. <laughs> I, <laughs> I stepped on him <laughs> and this lump appeared. <laughs> exactly. Oh, he has an ear infection. And by the way, there's 10 other things I want you to look at. And you exactly. only have 20 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's the yeah, usual. That's a big part of it. So after doing this study, do you have words of wisdom for either the consolidators or the veterinarians themselves or the technicians themselves? And what do we do next? Like what, what is something that we can do to kind of start to turn this around? Because burnout is such a huge problem. And you know, what frustrates me and what I do is that we always talk about all these negative things, but we want to fix it. And and that's part of the reason that I'm here is to try to help people fix the way we think about our profession and see it in a more positive light and do things to create boundaries so we don't become burned out. So what is your advice um, after doing this study? Do you have ideas for so- what we can implement? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the whole purpose of this was to to understand, is there something we can implement? Um, so I think that through just studying lean and lean thinking and how they did in healthcare, my, my hope was to, uh, because uh, the master degree dissertation doesn't doesn't require you to do experiments. It's just hypothesize <laughs> and connect the literature with uh, some sort of research. Right. But I do want to go beyond that. And that's sort of my new uh, venture where I'm going into right now. I do want to work with consolidation to apply certain principles, not only of lean, but other management methodologies uh, to improve veterinarian experience as they're going through consolidation because it seems like everybody can uh, buy practices or a lot of consolidation can buy practices but transitioning from a private to consolidated practice sustaining the positive experience and uh, improving the processes beyond that is something that i'm passionate about right now 
And that's something that I want to do, I think, in my next sort of five to 10 years is try to implement what I studied and research and try to copy what John Toussaint did in healthcare. And in the last 12 years, there's tremendous results. We've, we've been to many hospitals and we've seen how they do it. But the only way I think we could apply it is at scale, is at the level of consolidation. Right. Because in each individual hospital, there's, there's just, I don't, I don't think I can do that many hospitals. <laughs> and right. I think that if we'll influence consolidators that are in, interested in that, um, then they have the benefit of not losing veterinarians, improving operational efficiency. Veterinarians are getting better experience. And I think overall it should help the industry. So I think that that's sort of my passion and how I want to apply that. And of course, uh, what you're doing is, is tremendously important. Uh, Mary Halawatchuk, and uh, you know others in the in the uh, domain that that help with the self care, um, you know the compassion fatigue and burnout and and all of those things. I think it's super important. So if we can focus on that and as a business take responsibility, I think that's those are sort of a couple of things that I would love to see in the upcoming years. Okay, that sounds like uh, the way that we all need to go. Yeah. So if somebody wants to learn more or read the study, learn more about what you what your um, conclusions were, how can they get a hold of that? So we're uh, we're deploying small bits and pieces of it right now through social media. You can uh, mostly LinkedIn. So if you want to, uh, you know, uh, connect and sign up for uh, news feed from me. Uh, if you can spell my last name, then uh, you'll succeed. <laughs> I'll spell it <laughs> in the show connecting. notes. <laughs> Thank you. I'll yeah. make sure so, I put all the links in the show notes so they don't have to worry you. about that. Yeah. And also you can go to uh, our website. So vetintegrations.com. On the footer, there's uh, links to burnout study. And we also will host a panel uh, of discussion. Uh, we're hoping to do that on December 2nd. And uh, I'm hoping to invite representation from uh, from the technicians, uh, some industry speakers. I'm hoping to have veterinarian representation. And I will, I think, have John Toussaint himself, uh, who will share his experience from the human health. So that would be an interesting event on December 2nd. Um, brainstorming we'll event, be, huh? Yeah. And then we'll uh, we'll kind of have that sort of brainstorm, as you as you said. Uh, so that would be, I think, that would be a very interesting and recorded and probably deployed on the Veterinary Innovation Podcast as well. Okay, I will be sure to put that in my notes as well, so people can uh, be ready for that because that's coming Thank up you. pretty quick here, December second. We're hoping to be ready by then. <laughs> it's still in the works, huh? Right. Well, it's not as hard as dissertation, so I'm done with that part. Right, right. I'm sure that that was a long... How long did it take, actually, this whole thing? Uh, you said three years to get through it, but was... Well, was, no, the dissertation was the last year, but I was going through acquisition of the company, then, right. you know, almost nine months at IDEX, and then new company now. So wow. there's a lot of things wow. along the way, and sure. uh, that's why it's stretched a little longer. But I think it's it's nice because it's not just like a paper that you publish and put somewhere, I actually want to put it into practice and I'm right. creating the company. So it'll turn into a life's work. I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it sounds like an amazing thing. It's something that we all need. So is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you think we should? That I missed? I think I, I, I relate all information I have about it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything because I think I have a much better understanding. I was a little bit, because I'm not um, a techie, I was a little bit 
uh, wondering about the whole lean thinking and lean um, system. So I'm glad you you taught me about that a little bit. So I'm going to look a little bit more into that because I think that sounds like something that definitely would be something that you could apply, especially with the corporations. I, I really think that that's a big piece that we're missing right now is getting the the corporate people to understand what goes on the ground. Yeah. I, I feel like there's, there's a disconnect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So I will put everything in the show notes. I really appreciate you being with me today and it was really nice to meet you. And I thank, thank you, you for doing this for us. And um, I will put your bio and everything in the show notes too. So if people want to get a hold of you that they know where to find you. Thank you for having me. All right. I thank you so much. Have a great day. You as well. All right. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining me again this week on the podcast. That was an excellent discussion that I had with Dr. Zach. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please go to iTunes and give me a five-star review. We need the five-star reviews to get the podcast out to more people. If you need coaching or you'd like to learn more about coaching, you can sign up on my website, juliecapel.com or veterinarylifecoach.com. Both things will get you there. I also have a sign up for my Wednesday weekly words if you want to get those every week in your email. Again, thank you so much for joining me this week and I will be with you again next week. Have a beautiful, productive week.